This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. I'm glad you're able to join us on today. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to us talk about all things user experience. We're going to dive right in to the to the subject matter today. And I know that I said initially that we were going to be talking about overcoming the mirage of UX ambiguity for just three weeks, but. A lot more has come up about this topic. I've been hearing from people about this topic. And because there's still more to address and it's all within the context of that subject, I thought it would be would be best served if we just continued going over that for just a little while longer. I'm not going to say how many weeks we're just going to continue until we're done. So once again, we have a lot to cover. So I want to dive right in. And today I'm sort of going to cover two subtopics within our topical coverage tonight. And I want to start off by giving a shout out to Nishant. Uh, He knows who he is. We had uh, a great interaction on, on LinkedIn. And during that interaction, I had mentioned, I'll tell you everything that happened in a few moments, but I mentioned Nishant. I'm going to be talking about that very soon on my podcast. He said, please let me know when. So here we are, uh, Nishant, this is for you and it's for the whole UX community. But we want to address a different aspect of ambiguity. So to repeat, do people have a right to be confused? Yes. Are people confused? Yes. My premise, my point My purpose for covering this topic is with regard to the fact that people should not be confused and people are dwelling in ambiguity. They are dealing in a place where everything seems to be confusing and we don't know which way is up and what is UX? What should I be doing? What what is a UX job? And and it's really amazing from company to company. It's almost like agile. Everybody says they're agile, but people, it depends upon what company you're at, what they're going to be doing with Agile. So you, when you go to a company and you find out that they're doing Agile, you need to find out what they mean and then start to find out how to operate within that operation. UX has reached that same state. So the ambiguity that some people experience and that they express, they have every reason. I, I, I totally get it. But my point is that if we would resist the urge to embrace the ambiguity as a norm and instead make sure to embrace what true user experience really is instead of fighting against it, which is what a lot of people who occupy UX space today are are doing, whether it's a stakeholder, a C-level person, or a professing practitioner. People are fighting against UX. I won't get into the why, not today. We'll address that another time. But uh, let, let, let's, let's dive in and sort of address another reason for the mirage of, UN, uh, of ambiguity today in UX uh, by talking about what Nishant and I were, were looking at. 
on, on LinkedIn. Someone made a post on LinkedIn and, and on this post, they were addressing the uh, how that they had encountered someone, a stakeholder and a lot of stakeholders. I've come across a lot of stakeholders that feel the same exact way as what I'm about to address. A lot of stakeholders don't like engaging with UX people. It's our fault, by the way. A lot of them don't like to engage with UX people because they feel that we only focus on the users and that we only care about the users. My response to that statement was that, because the person was speaking as if, I mean, I love the fact that the person was taking a stand. That's great. Kudos to that individual. I'm glad that they were upset about what they experienced dealing with the stakeholder. I wish more of us would get upset so that we would make change. But a lot of people are sitting on their leaves. A lot of people are comfortable. A lot of people are happy with their check. They don't really embrace the discipline, so they don't stand up for it. They don't defend it. They don't educate people. They just get their check and they go. And and remember, UX is still a young discipline. It's still a baby. It still needs care. It still needs a diaper changed every once in a while, depending upon where you work. If we don't take a stand for what UX really is, if we don't embrace the discipline the way that we should, if we don't help usher it to a better state of being, guess who's going to suffer, folks? So, so and that's why I take a stand in social media. That's why I take a stand on this podcast, things of that nature. But at any rate, I responded to that post and I said, UX has actually always been about finding the sweet spot between user needs, business goals, and constraints. There's an old classic Venn diagram, and I'm thinking that a lot of you, if you're listening to this podcast, it's highly likely that you have seen this Venn diagram before. In this Venn diagram, there's three sections, so you're going to have to picture this with me because we don't have visuals here. Three spots. One of them is addressing, of course, user needs. That's the part that, the, to a great extent, the user experience professional is already going to have a solid handle on it either either from the beginning or over time. So there's going to be viewpoints that you have, there's understanding that you have from a heuristic perspective. We already know that people are gonna behave a certain way or that they're gonna have a certain set of, of expectations. We know what their mental model is many times when it comes to interacting with a particular, uh, a particular experience. So we, we know that. What we don't know, we can find out through through research. We can find out by talking to subject matter experts. We can find out by looking at any data that exists, whether it's surveys or uh, intercept surveys, regular surveys, any voice of the customer data that exists. If we get our hands on that. And, and so user needs, we've got that either locked down or we have access to it uh, through that. Again, what already exists, heuristics or conducting research on our own. So we're, we're going to manage, we're going to take care of that user needs aspect of what's going on here. That's our domain. That's what we do. The second part of that Venn diagram has to do with the business. So what does the business seek to accomplish? What are the business goals? What is the business up against? Do you need to conduct a SWOT analysis? That also falls on us. Our stakeholders may not have done that. Uh, have you looked at it from a Porter's 
five forces perspective so that you can get additional insights? Have you conducted a competitive analysis? Do you know what's going on via your subject matter experts? Do you know what's going on via your stakeholders? Do you know what's going on with regard to leadership? So we have all this information that comes together and that forms the second part of the Venn diagram. Then you come to the third part. And in the old classic version of this illustration, it always refers to technical constraints. Uh, Over the course of my career in observing things, I have found that's not really accurate. There are more constraints than technical constraints. You have constraints associated with time. Maybe you have a short timeline, you have a long timeline, whatever it is, you're going to do whatever you do, whatever you recommend from a user experience professional perspective, you are going to to work in conjunction with the constraints of the timeline. That's one. You might have budgetary constraints, so you want to be aware of that. There may be political constraints. If there are political constraints, uh, again, political, timeline, budgetary available personnel, your human resources constraints. There are a ton of different constraints that are out there, but no matter what they are, we're going to take the user needs, the business needs, and the constraints, and we're going to find, picture again, it's a Venn diagram. We're looking at the part that overlaps, and the only part that overlaps all three is the part that user experience professionals are, are striving to drive the project towards whatever's going on that's what we're doing now here's where one of the problems associated with the ambiguity the perceived ambiguity takes place a lot of people today if the company doesn't have a strong ux maturity level they don't understand that that's what you're trying to do if you even know because a lot of ux professionals today don't understand that that's what we're supposed to be doing either. And the funny thing about that is, if you don't know, and maybe this is the first time you heard it, that's fine. We're all in the in the business of getting better. We're all in the business of learning more. We're all in the business of, of, of wrapping our minds around what UX is and how we can bring greater value. So if you ever reach a point of discovery, that's fine. I've come across people over the years, you're trying to say that so-and-so isn't. No, 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 no. We're simply pointing out where we need to be. I'm trying to give you the same thing that was given to me. This is what UX is. We align ourselves with that. We go forward. A lot of people are coming into UX. I'm talking practitioners now are coming into UX and never come into knowledge of what UX is. And they just try to grab something and then go forward, some of which I'm going to talk about here momentarily. And and so that's a developmental problem that we need to address in a UX world. I I have people that are writing me uh, about the podcast. uh, They're expressing appreciation for different things that, that are said. If you're developing in UX, one of the greatest, the greatest thing, the best thing you can do, no matter where you're choosing to get educated, I'm not even going to uh, uh, throw a rock at, at boot camps right now. You have to understand wherever you, however you're trying to learn about UX. And yeah, I guess I got to say it. You don't want to go to boot camps. Okay. Enough of that though. <laughs> and part of, we'll cover that in another, another episode. You have to make it a point that just like every other discipline, there are best, best practices and there are, principles, there are methods and methodologies that exist no matter what the discipline is. And when you come into a discipline, 
one of the first things you need to do is find out what those things are and begin to learn them and build your skill and knowledge, build your UX acumen so that you can get better, speaking directly of UX now, so that you can begin to grow, so you can begin to mature as a UX professional. A lot of folks start off as visual designers and then eight years later, they're still visual designers claiming to be UX people and have yet to really discover what UX is. And so the longer it takes for you to make that shift, the more challenging it's likely to be, especially depending upon where you work. So if you want to do this thing right, find out what UX is. And if you've been doing the wrong thing for years, you know what? So what? It's not about what you've been doing. It's about what you're going to be doing. It's not about where you've been. It's about where you're going. So let's focus on discovery, which I'm going to talk about in an upcoming podcast and what discovery really is, and then just continue to grow. But at any rate, back to the topic at hand. I talked about how that's what UX really is and how that a lot of people never knew and never understood that. Now, so if you're in a place, if you're working in a place where, again, the maturity level is not high, people don't know that. And if you're if you do know and you're trying to practice UX of a truth in a given organization that does not know this, you think they're going to appreciate you? Do you think they're going to understand what you're doing? Do you think that somebody is going to say, hey, I don't care about all that. Just make it look pretty. A lot of us have heard that before. And it's because a lot of stakeholders and a lot of leaders, they wanted to bring UX on board, but they never made it a point. We said this in another podcast, folks who don't who never make it a point to understand. And so when they don't understand a certain discipline, they can never engage properly. So if you're in a position where you're trying to do real UX and people don't understand UX, you're not going to be able to function without a lot of hostility, without a lot of pushback. Um, You're not going to be able to function without a a degree of toxicity. and, And that's not fun for anyone. It's not fulfilling for anyone. There is no uh, uh, tremendous value, no intrinsic value. You're not going to leave satisfied. You're not going to leave work satisfied for the day. You're not going to have a sense of fulfillment or accomplishment because you spend too much time fighting and defending things. So this, this part of ambiguity has to do with the perceptions of the UX job. This is a reality that many of us are dealing with. If those of you who know me and you wonder, man, how come you you don't stay at too many places too long? Well, that's for the last few years. Yeah, you're absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Uh, but one of the main reasons is because I'm running into exactly, have run into exactly what I just mentioned. And I know a lot of other people, so I'm not on that boat by myself. When you try to, when you know what UX is and you try to do UX right, you have a group of people who go, wow, I didn't know, and they want to get better, and they conform. And then you have a group of people, which to me has been the majority, a group of people who want to fight against you because you make them feel like, I mean, they already have an imposter syndrome problem, and then you're making them feel bad, and not trying to make anybody feel bad, you're trying to help people to come up higher. So just come up higher. That's all all I've ever said. Uh, That's all I've ever meant, uh, and that's all I'm saying now. 
So you want to reach out, you want to get better, you want to be a better UX professional because it's never just about you. It's always about the UX discipline. It's still a baby. Remember, it's still a baby. It still needs its diapers changed. It still needs some care that a lot of other disciplines don't. And when we come to a meeting, 10 disciplines in the room, we're always the baby. We're the only one that people don't understand. So there's work that has to be done. There is no, hey, I want to be a UX professional and then you don't do anything or you don't think that you have to do anything to make this discipline better. We are all in a position we're in because of what the last UX person did. Essentially, people are going to interact with us because of what the last UX person did. So we always have to have the relationship in mind as we're doing the work because it's the cultivation of the relationship that lays the groundwork to get things done in the future, not just today. Now, the other side of that, and so so Nishant promised you I was going to talk about that. There it is. We got to be about finding the sweet spot in the Venn diagram. Here's another aspect I wanted to cover today associated with this the, the ambiguity about what UX people are supposed to be doing. And this also taps into hiring. And it's about this whole UX UI thing. Now, I mentioned somebody just said, just make it pretty because in a lot of people's minds, UX people in a lot of UX professionals minds, and I'm telling everybody today, it's time to stop saying UX UI. It was in my title once it, it's in a lot of people's titles that I see in social media. A lot of people come right out and they say UX UI when they're trying to communicate. And every time you say it, you're contributing to the ambiguity that a lot of people have because a lot of people see us as visual folks. They see us as people. They will tell you they see us as people that are going to make things look pretty. They see us as people that are come and tell them what color the button should be. And that's it. They don't want to talk about cognitive load. They don't want to talk about gestalt principles. They don't want to talk about Fitz law. They don't want to talk about information architecture. They don't want to talk about findability. They don't want to talk about scandability and accessibility and all these other things, which is where we actually live as professionals. We, if you've ever seen the Jesse James Garrett five planes, if you've never seen it, just go to images.google.com and search for JJG five planes and you will see a, a an approach to design that still applies today. And don't be fooled by all these design processes because it's pretty much all the same thing and it's just different words thrown around. In, in Jesse James Garrett's five planes, he talks about getting the requirements first. And then after you get the requirements, you end up gravitating through additional planes where you start to work through the interactive level. And, and the last plane, because we're not addressing those today, so I have to go through it really quickly. When you get to the fifth plane, that's the presentation level. And guess where UX people don't live? We don't live on the presentation level. The only time we're concerned about how something looks is because we're looking at scannability. We're looking at emotional design impact. We're looking at accessibility. We're looking at all the factors that are associated with the discipline of UX. We're not looking at making it pretty. That's the last and literally Literally, the least of the concerns of the UX professional is how something looks. Is it important? Yeah, of course it's important. But God help us if we have something that looks good and works terrible. Our focus is on usability. Our focus is on how intuitive the experience is. 
Our focus is on whether or not people can find what they're doing and if they can complete a task without pulling their hair out. That's what the UX professional is focused on today. So we're not UI people. Stop saying UI UX. The acronyms are not interchangeable. They don't mean the same thing. UI is a subset of UX, and it comes along much, much, much later in the process after a whole chunk, some 30 or 40 UX principles and deliverables, methods and methodologies, at the least, come into play. So when you say UI UX, folks, you're contributing to the problem. We need to start turning that wheel in the other direction and we need to start explaining what UX really is. Now, if you don't know, just start finding out. We're not telling you you don't deserve your job. We're not telling saying you need to be fired. All we're saying is that folks need to start embracing what UX really is because the ROI, the, the reports that NASA did, the reports that, that IBM did, the, the, the reports that the Design Management Institute put into the wild about the ROI associated with UX are all talking about real UX and not this this hodgepodgey microwavable thing that's taking place today. Let's get real UX under our belt so that we can further our career, further the discipline and bring value to our organizations. Folks, that is all the time we have for today. So thanks again for joining me, but it's time to sign off. So this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.